0: My name is Jared. And my name's J... Ja- <laughs> my that? Name's Jared. What's your name? <laughs> my name's Javid. 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 <laughs> Today on the Multiply Podcast, I'll be talking with my new co-host, Javid, and our special guest, Greg Steer, about communicating the gospel to a young generation. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared.
1: And my name is David.
0: We're glad you guys are with us, and uh, we got a real treat today, a special guest. You get, ha- you get to listen to not just David and I, mm-hmm. but um, actually someone who may know what they're talking about. Yes, which we Which is are. a great thing.
1: And we're so excited to have with us today on the Multiply Podcast, the founder and CEO of Dare to Share Ministries, Greg Steer. Greg, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be a part of it. Greg, tell us, for those of us that, or for our listeners that don't aren't familiar with you, aren't familiar with Dare to Share, and uh, give us a little sense of um, the heart of your ministry, what you guys are all about, and how you strengthen the body of Christ.
2: You know, we just believe in the power of the gospel of teens, reaching teens with the message of Jesus. I was a inner-city kid, never knew my biological father, high crime rate area high crime rate family and a preacher from the suburbs reached my whole family with the gospel and their youth ministry trained me how to share the gospel and i was like oh my goodness i got a dad in heaven i never knew my biological father but i have a heavenly dad and i have earthly cause and dare to share is just an expression of that how do we help teenagers connect with their heavenly father and find their cause and make a multiplied disciples and we do you know events training curriculum we've trained a million teens how to how to share the gospel, and we train youth leaders how to build what we call gospel-advancing ministries. Uh, So disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's why I love the name of your podcast, because we want to see disciples multiplied through teenagers and youth leaders to facilitate the process. So that's our heart. Our vision is every teen, everywhere, hearing the gospel from a friend. Our mission is energizing the church to mobilize youth to gospelize their world. And so... That's what we do.
1: I love that, Greg. When Gospelized is, is obviously a word that not everybody's familiar with or uses. Uh, what do you mean when you say that? You know, it's
2: actually, I was uh, working out, I'm such a nerd, I was listening to Spurgeon, somebody reads Spurgeon sermons online, and it was in an old Spurgeon sermon, the word gospelized, and I did a little research on it, and it's the old English word for evangelize. And I just think it sounds cooler, because evangelize just sounds like a dude on a corner with a sign and a bullhorn, and sometimes it's got these stereotypes. Gospelize is just a fuller word. It includes evangelism, but also it's not just gospelizing the lost. I mean, we as Christians need to be gospelized, too. And, um, yeah, I just I just thought it was a cool-sounding word.
1: Yeah, and to put a quick plug I wish there
2: was a, I wish there was a more spiritual reason than, <laughs> well, hey. cooler than evangelize.
1: What's more spiritual than listening to somebody read Charles Spurgeon sermons? There you go. There's that. That's that's that exactly. Yeah. Um, and to put a little plug in, uh, Greg has a book called Gospelize that I've read and that I recommend to youth leaders, a wonderful resource for those that are looking to build a youth ministry around and on the gospel. Um, man, we love that. Uh, today on, on this episode, we really want to talk to you uh, about communicating the gospel, preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel to this generation. And you have the, the privilege and the opportunity to travel all over the country and the world and stand on stages in front of hundreds of thousands of teenagers and share the good news of Jesus with them. What an amazing way to to get to spend your life. And uh, you're one of the premier communicators when it comes to presenting the gospel to this generation. So we thought, let's just talk to Greg a little bit about some of the things you've learned uh, along the way. So uh, even when you think about what your approach is to the gospel, I know you have a powerful story. You, You you referenced it briefly, but where does someone's story fit into communicating the gospel to this generation?
2: You know, I think it, it fits right in the middle of it. I mean, I I do believe that it's really important to hear others, other people's stories first, um, and then, you know, connect their story with your story, and then connect your story with God's story, um, kind of that three-story idea I really like. Uh, I think it's important for people to see that... You know, um, we've been, our lives have been changed by Christ, and what we tell teenagers is, you know, your your story matters, and every story is a dramatic salvation story. So it doesn't matter if you were a drug dealer before and spent time in prison or radically transformed, or you are a kid raised in church and you were radically transformed at the age of five. At the bottom line, we were, by nature, uh, children of wrath, but God you know, demonstrated his mercy, adopted us into his family, he's rich in mercy toward us, and we've been saved. And I read this on a tweet, I forget who sent it out, it was great, because on the day you got saved, God turned a criminal proceeding into an adoption ceremony. Hmm. And every salvation story has got that in common. So I think it's important to share that story. I think it's also important, again, to start with their story. I, um, about 10 years ago, uh, Dare to Share did a reality series we took a called Gospel Journey Maui. We took a Mormon, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew—it sounds like a setup to a joke—into a bar, and we met a priest. <laughs> uh, we took, like, seven different worldviews to Maui, flew them to Maui, and we had eight days of spiritual discussions, and I'll never forget, uh, you know, that listening to their stories and— And uh, the walls came down. The more that we listened, the more the walls came down. And uh, then Zane, he was a surfing evangelical uh, that now travels with Darius here but he was a participant in this. They're like, oh, you forgot to get Zane's story. And so he literally shared the gospel by taking something from every one of their stories that he agreed with, Hmm. and he wove this beautiful gospel presentation. That had a huge impact on the way that we share the gospel. We now use a thing called ask, admire, admit. We started by using, here, you know, you're going to go to heaven when you die. If you, you know, if I could tell you, you know, than two minutes, how you, know, you can know what that beginning news. You know, 25 years ago, that's what we're doing. And we realize in this culture, it's really hard to engage teenagers in the in-depth conversations just by jumping there. So we train now students to ask questions, find out what, um, You know, they believe, um, admire what you can, and then admit the reason you became a Christian is you're so messed up you needed Jesus to save you, and that's where you tell your story at. So that Ask, Admire, Admit has been a huge help, and I learned that from watching Zane do that same thing on Haleakala, an active volcano in Maui, with all these different worldviews, and it changed the way we train teens to share their faith.
0: That's so good, Greg. Um, You you mentioned the uniqueness of this generation and how it's different than 25 years ago. Maybe What are some other things that you can think of in your experience working with young people uh, that is unique and important to keep in mind when we're thinking about communicating the Gospel to them?
2: Well, I think, you know, we have to communicate the Gospel um, instead of as an apologetic, uh, because I think back in the 70s and 80s, you know, you had books out like Evidence and Demand a Verdict, and you could begin the gospel conversation with apologetics. Here's why we know Christianity is true, right? I think you don't do that as much in today's uh, culture, effectively. I I feel like apologetics are still important, but what Paul did in Acts 17, the beginning of Acts 17, he told the Jews, you know, open up your scrolls to Isaiah 53 or whatever. He just, you know, used the word to to prove to them Jesus must be the Christ. For the end of Acts 17, he's with the men of Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he doesn't do that. He tells the gospel as a story. tells the story of, you know, Adam, and he tells the story of creation. He tells the story of Christ, and he uses apologetics as the P.S. At the end, he says he's given proof to all this by raising Jesus from the dead, and that's when people freaked out. Some believed, some rejected, some say, we want to hear you again on this subject. So what I, I think it's the end of Act 17 model we want to use in today's culture because the typical king doesn't necessarily look at scriptures as the ultimate authority. And so we tell the gospel as a story that just happens to be true, and we use apologetics as the PS instead of the opening line. So apologetics are so important, we just, you know, we use those at the end, like Paul did.
1: Yeah, the, the idea of um, admiring what other people believe, even, well, it's different than us, right? So the things that we have in common, and and the truth is, is most world religions, at least um, within the, uh, with the exception of maybe the extremes of some religions, all sort of share some of the same values, right? Um, Justice and kindness and and, um, living for others, sacrificial living and stuff like that. That idea of asking, admiring, admitting and weaving that sort of mentality into your presentation. I think some people would call that, and I don't know if there's a term you guys use or are comfortable with, but some people would call that presuppositional apologetics. And it's the idea that everybody has built their lives around certain presuppositions that they believe to be true. So while somebody may say, I'm an atheist, there actually are some presuppositions that you can identify based on how they live their lives, right? So if Mm -hmm. if, if an atheist lives their life based with this real sense of what is right and what is wrong, that's a presupposition that there's some sort of standard that there is right and wrong. And as a Christian, we can say, we share that standard we share that presupposition that there is right and there's wrong but within the christian faith there actually is an explanation for it um and so that idea of being able to identify things that people believe uh, admire it affirm it but then actually show if that's true then there's actually a disconnect between um, even what you say you believe and the way that you've based and lived out your life Um, and so I think that's a powerful way of, of engaging this generation. And when you talk about narrative and story, um, some people say, you know, the gospel has to be presented as bad news first. If people don't hear the bad news, they won't believe the good news. Uh, some people say, well, the the gospel should sound so good. It sounds too good to be true in your approach to presenting the gospel to a room full of teenagers. Uh, do you go one of those ways? Do you go a different way? Do you like to lead with the bad news? How do you how do you approach that?
2: Well, I I do. I heard a guy named Mike Mitzger, I don't know if you have ever heard him, but years ago, probably fifteen years ago, actually probably seventeen years ago,
1: um,
2: in Washington D.C. at the Youth Ministry Executive Council, he talked about presenting the gospel to the upcoming generation of postmodern students. He said, you know, we have to tell the, the whole story of Scripture. We cannot start our gospel presentations in Genesis 3. we got to start them in Genesis 1. Mm. And that actually sent us, because we used to we, we use a gospel acrostic. The G we used to use to train students as, used to be, God says everyone is sinned. And that threw me, I was like, oh my goodness, he's right. We need to tell the whole story. So G now says, for God created us to be with him. And then we tell the story of Genesis 1 and 2. And then O is our sin separated from God. That's the bad news. And More bad news as sins cannot be removed by good deeds, right? Uh, P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. We're getting into good news. E, everyone who trusts in Him alone is eternal life. And now life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. And so we, we have a way that we kind of tell that the whole journey of the Bible from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. And to really communicate the story of the gospel uh, by using the gospel acrostic. That really helps kids get... We have them memorize. It gives them gospel fluency. So, in one way to say it is that we we. it's not bad news, good news. It's good news, bad news, good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way to say it is, is a story arc. One of the best uh, like screenplay guys ever to live had a, it said every great book or every great movie could be uh, boiled down to yes, no, but wait. And so... I look at the gospel as good news, bad news, good news, but also, yes, God made us to be with him. No, but wait. Right. And um, if you, if you watch a movie with that in mind, you'll see a form of that in any good movie. And I think good movies, some of the artsy movies don't do that. And they're the ones that make a discontent and frustrated. Like what was the ending on that? We all want resolution. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's the way we kind of train students to, to uh, learn the whole story of the gospel and to share the narrative from uh, Genesis 1 to Revelation
0: 22. That's really good, Greg. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the listening piece, because as you communicated, it's so important right, to hear people's stories. And I actually think sometimes it's the hardest part because of our inclination to not want to listen but to want to speak. Um, is there a way that you train young people that would be benefit uh, beneficial to whoever's listening on number one, how to position yourself to actually be in relationship with people so you can listen. And then once you are, um, what are the tools needed? How do we listen well to the stories of the people that are around us?
2: So, yeah, we do. And it's interesting because I am the worst at it. Uh, <laughs> I'm horrible. And so 10 years ago, When we were on the mountain, I was telling you that story about Zane. Well, what happened before then? I asked the question, do you guys believe in God? Nobody answered for 30 seconds, so I just started preaching. Our producer said, cut, pull me aside. He said, do you want to ruin this project? I (laughs) go, no. He goes, this is not about you talking. This is about you listening. You can get to the gospel. You will get to the gospel. But you need to listen first. And I thought back to my wife, who's a tremendous listener, Right before I left to go to Maui, she goes, honey, I know you do to preach to these kids. You know, you'll get to it. Listen, be genuinely interested. So I, they said, okay, take two. So I sit down. Do you guys believe in God? Nobody answers. Finally, the Muslim kid, Jasser Muhammad, answers. I believe there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And... And I am supposed to listen. I was like, okay, tell me more. Our camera guy who know, knows me said, it looked like at any moment, moment you're going to take out your pocket of New Testament and go, say hello out to my little friend, you know, and just blast <laughs> him away. But I listen. I, I could hear I could hear my wife in one ear saying, listen, nod, be genuinely interested, listen to what he's saying. You'll get to the gospel later. And the Holy Spirit in the other ear saying, listen to your wife. She knows what she's talking about. So... I did, and the more they listened, uh, the more those walls came down, and the more open they were to the gospel. And and I've gotten better, but we tell kids, listen, when you ask questions, don't ask questions with an agenda. Ask questions to really get to know them, and to really find out and be genuinely interested. And use that white space to allow the Holy Spirit to really guide you to the next question and turn it towards spiritual subjects. You go to church anywhere, you, know you have a spiritual background. And then just be genuinely interested while looking for areas that you agree with. I called it at the Areopagus. I see you're a very religious people. He quotes one of their pagan poets. So look for those areas of agreement. You know, uh, applaud those. Find areas that you agree with. And then again, admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up. So we have kids. We do a thing called uh, AAA uh, role play. Uh, at our week-long events called Lead the Cause, where we have students practice. They grab other students they don't know in the room, and they have these conversations, ask, admire, admit. And initially, we we didn't have them get to the gospel at all. We just have them learn how to have a conversation. You know, we have them practice looking at each other's eyes for 30 seconds Mm -hmm. in silence. You talk about maximum discomfort for this generation that's used to looking at screens, And we tell we really say, "Listen, you need to get good at looking at people in the eye and having a conversation." So we literally take them through the ropes on how to do that.
0: Man, I love that. Um, That would that would be David's worst nightmare. He's got such a fear of intimacy that. (laughs) Yeah, I
2: want you two right. I want you two right now just to look in each (laughs) other's eyes for thirty seconds. See if he could do without giggling.
0: He can't. He's he's looking away. He's sweating right now. <laughs> Getting lightheaded.
1: Um, and, uh, listen, I just also want to go on the record. If you ever do a sequel to that video that you filmed in Hawaii, and you need yes. eight, you need eight people, um, I have my wife and myself and my three girls all volunteer. Um, there you go. Three girls are Swimby probably you know, at least at least our youngest one is still unconverted, so she would be a great. Uh, part nice. of the video.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to be whatever awesome. religion you need me to be. <laughs> That's right. If it, if it means being in Hawaii. So right. that,
2: I'm Mormon for a day. Yeah. Mormon for
1: a day. Hey, Greg. Uh, That's awesome. s- Some of our listeners present the gospel regularly to young people. And um, I think one of the challenges, especially for young communicators, is that at the end of the message, what does it look like? Like, how do I lead people into a response that is. Um, leaving room for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do, and not being manipulative and working the room or working the crowd, but also not falling short of giving people the opportunity to respond to the grace of God and the work of the Spirit. And you do this all the time. And so uh, how could you help somebody who struggles with sort of making that, that, for lack of a better word, that challenge or that call to people at the end of a gospel yeah. presentation?
2: And I think, you know, we got to be really careful because there is that challenge, like, hey, I just want as many kids to come forward as possible. we got to be careful with the come forward part because sometimes we distract from the decision they're making in the heart, right? We want them to really understand and believe. And then the come forward, really, scripturally, the original altar call is baptism. You know, come forward to the water. That's when you make your public proclamation. So I think so many times we almost we believe in your heart and you're justified. We skip past that. To get some kid to say Jesus is Lord with their mouth, but they gotta they gotta believe in their heart. That's where that's when they're declared righteous when they believe in their heart. So I I usually have kids bow their heads and close their eyes and make a decision in the silence of their heart, you know, and 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 put their faith in Christ. I lead them through a prayer. I always make it clear saying a prayer does not save you. It's your faith in Jesus based on what He did on the cross, knowing that you're a sinner in need of that Savior. And you're trusting in Him to save you and forgive you. You know, do that in the quietness of your heart, and you can lead him to a prayer as a way to thank God for his free gift. And then we can come forward or get baptized with that next step of declaring with your mouth, um, you know, Jesus is Lord. But that, I says, if you declare with your, if you believe in your heart, you're justified, declare with your mouth, you're saved. I think that that declaration uh, is more of a sanctification because that Jesus is Lord, if you look in the NIV text notes, was the original baptismal confession. So when early believers got baptized before they went under, they said, Jesus is Lord. They said that in the public of you, of friends and family, people, you know, uh, on the south steps of the temple or in the Jordan. uh, And I think in many ways it was our first evangelism experience, public proclamation. Uh, that I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the light, the king of the universe. Um I'm trusting in him. And so I think when he's saying you believe in your heart, you're justified, declared righteous, declare with your mouth, you're saved in this, you know, in the sanctification sense. It accelerates your your outward sanctification. And so I think we need to give them room to really believe in their heart first. And then we do the public proclamation.
0: Yeah, um... Two questions I have for you, Greg, that I'd love to hear. A lot of people listening are regular communicators or pastors who are preaching or speaking. Um, so one would be, could you quickly define for us, when you say the gospel, what does that look like? And then the second would be, um, any just practical tips or insights on how does how do we become better communicators? Um, obviously, it's the spiritual work in the hearts of yeah. students or people, but, but we are stewards of our gifts. So how do we become better at that. So define the gospel, and then how do we become better communicators?
2: Well, yeah, it's great. Uh, gospel is good news, that's what the word means. And again, we use that acrostic, G-O-S-P-L, to tell the whole story of the gospel. G-O-S-P-G, God created us to be with Him, Genesis 1 and 2. O, our sin separate us from God, Genesis 3, with the fall of Adam and Eve. P, pain, to pray, uh, S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. From Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, the blood, sweat, and tears of so the you know blood of the sacrifices, sweat of that she so can obey the 613 Old Testament commands, tears of contrition could not wash away that sin. So P paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He, everyone who trusts in Him alone, has eternal life. Book of John. And then L life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Acts, of Revelation. Not just the quantity of life, but the quality of life. And mm-hmm. so we have a whole. Um, app that kind of lays that out, just called Dare to Share, uh, the number two Dare to Share app, it's a free app, and it, you know, trains on how to share that whole gospel message. So is that what you were looking for, that yeah. to answer to that question? Yeah, well,
0: that's great. Now for those who are communicating that from a stage, whether it's a sermon or a talk, how do you, uh, how can they be better? How can we all be better at speaking?
2: Well, I, I think it's always really good to start with... Humor or a story, and really engage, you know, the crowd, and then I think tell the whole story. I mean, tell the story dramatically, uh, and unpack that story, uh, and help them to really see how that personalizes into their life, and share stories about, you know, the story of how the gospel has transformed and is transforming you, and then at the end, just give them an opportunity to respond to the gospel right then, you know. um I think using illustrations is key, and just being compelling. It is good news. It is the gospel. It literally means good news. And so, I think we need to we need to share it with, with joy and excitement. Um, yes, no, but wait. We got to you know share it with drama um, and impact. And you know that's what the gospel story is. And we need to share it clearly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times at the end, of, you know, when I hear invitations, you know, it's like almost like they take a call for salvation and a call for dedication and a call for sanctification, and they mix them all up, and it ends up being a works-based gospel that the unbeliever, you know, it just sounds like the typical religious stuff, turn, try, cry, and it distracts them from the cross of Christ. So I think really be clear for the call to the unbeliever to believe in Christ, to trust in Jesus mm. alone, you know? Uh, The word repent means uh, metaneo, to change your mind, and the best definition I ever heard was repentance is to change your mind about sin, self, and Savior. Sin, and that is the barrier between me and the Holy God, self, that there's nothing I can do to remove that barrier, and Savior, that Jesus is the only one qualified to remove that barrier. So they change their mind about those things and embrace Christ as their salvation. Every other... Every other world religion has some sort of ladder approach. Mm-hmm. You know, you climb, you try, you surrender, you submit, you da-da-da-da. Only Christianity is the cross approach, where Jesus did all the work. That's why he's the broad is the way to least instruction. The broad way, that broad way is the way of trying, of self-effort. The narrow way is saying Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except right him. So keep it really clear because paul says though we are an angel from heaven preaching any other gospel to you than that which we have preached let him be accursed." and then he repeats it and so when we give the gospel we need to be really really careful we are giving the clear gospel of grace and not some works substitute so we can get a bigger response at the altar god
1: man that's so good um i think it's keller who i heard say um if when you preach the gospel People should leave, even if they leave unwilling to sort of make a decision or respond to what's happening, Uh, and even if they're not ready to believe that it's true, they should leave wishing it was true. Um, I love that. That's great. At least like thinking, man, I don't think that's true, but oh, man, if that was true, that would change my life. Um, And I think that's a good target on the wall when we go to presenting the gospel. Uh, Greg, that's Mm. so, so, so helpful. We really appreciate it. Um, we like to end our episodes with a little portion called David's Eats. Uh, I love food. In fact, last time we were together, we shared some pretty good pizza in Brooklyn. Yes, we did. So I I, I love some some good food. But when we have guests on, we like to hear from you. You travel. You're lots of different places. Uh, What's the best thing you've eaten recently?
2: Okay. So am just in Austin, and we're doing a Lead the Cause event down there, and it's in proximity to In-N-Out. So for two nights in a row, at the end of speaking, I went to In-N-Out Burger. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know technically if the burgers and the fries and shakes are better than anyone else, but there's some mystique that makes it taste better for whatever reason. And I just enjoyed. I counted up 1,600 calories. <laughs> And uh, just enjoyed them. They're so good, uh, so worth. And they're really—it's
1: af- really affordable too, right? Like, yeah. the burger's yeah, like a few burger. bucks.
2: Yeah. See. Yeah. So yeah, we good. don't
1: we don't have in and out up here in upstate New York, so we're, now we're kind of jealous. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah. Yeah, we
2: don't we don't have it in Denver either. So oh, all okay. right. Well,
1: was, we uh, we're together yeah. in our misery. Oh man, that's right.
0: Greg, thanks so much. This is uh, this has been great. Hey, if, uh, if you're listening, be sure to tune in to the next podcast. We're going to have Greg back on and talking about the role of the gospel in discipleship. Thanks so much. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll catch you next time.